1: wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi everybody and welcome or welcome back to Who Dead What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. With me, your host, Katie Charlewood, history harlot and reader of books. Well, 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 well. I am just back from Scotland. I'm currently camping out in a hotel room. Uh, just, I just like to stop off do my antigen tests and all that before I head on, because safety first and all that. So, doing that, I had awesome weekend. I got to see Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. Fucking love Wanda. I really do. And and as a lifelong Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell fan, it just. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I loved the way the movement. up uh, I'm not gonna give any spoilers away, but it was. I, I enjoyed it. Also, managed to get my ass kicked at crazy golf. Um, as it turns out, I do not have any uh, skill when it comes to golfing, either pitch and pot, regular golfing stuff, nor uh, crazy golf. I mean, the crazy golf was fun. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. But um, I have no skill. But <laughs> it's fine. I, I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, it was a fun time. Oh, and in a move that will surprise absolutely fucking no one, I uh, did... Um, we did another escape room. Fucking love escape rooms. This one was... Which was my first magician's height, and I did get to play with a magic wand, so that's always fun. Um, that was an E... Escape rooms in Glasgow? Yeah. And they have two more rooms there. One's like... This isn't an ad, by the way. This is just... Or sponsored. This is me liking their stuff. They've got a ghost of Mary Queen of Scots. Because, you know, generally anything historical based or literary based, I I, I, I would dive into. Because that's who I am as a person. They've got the ghost of Mary Queen of Scots and like a 1990s pop musician, murder person, and I thought, oh, that, those seem like interesting ones, so I'll probably do one of them next time. i trying to think of all the escape rooms I've done, I've done two in Belfast, one was a Game of Thrones, and one was a Jack the Ripper type thing, like, I did see an option for, like, a Titanic one, so I might do that, actually, you know, <laughs> I'd be like, Melissa, Melissa, come over, we'll do one, make her, I'll make her come to Belfast just so we can do a Titanic escape room. I feel like she would if she was in Belfast. I feel like she'd do that with me. Oh, um, Melissa Fairlady from the God's Favourites podcast. Oh, yeah, and in Dublin I've done a Game of Thrones one and a Baker Street... Yeah, it it was a Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. So that's what I've done so far. So, like, if anybody has any recommendations for escape rooms in, like, certain cities... Like, just recommend them to me. Uh, you can always DM me on Instagram or just tweet me. Yeah, you can either tweet me at who did what no PD, which is like the official one for the podcast, or just my personal uh, Twitter, which is at History Harlot. But yes, I fucking love escape rooms. Or I have a theory, right, that escape rooms are actually perfect first date sort of ideas because it very much teaches you what a person is like. Like if they're a complete fucking arsehole, if, they're, if they have control issues, if they think they're smarter than you, you know, all that kind of stuff's gonna come out in this one hour, this one hour stretch, you know. How they react to the situation they're in and how they treat you within it is going to be a very good indicator of what they're like as a person because, you know, it just, it just is. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what your jibber jabber. In fact, me, in fact, you, I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. Okay, our sources are... Bad Girls From History, Wicked or Misunderstood by Dee Gordon. Infamous Lady, The True Story of Countess Erishabed Battery. By Kimberly Craft. Hungary and Transylvania, with remarks on their condition, social, political and economical. By John Paget. Eryjibed Baduri, The Life of a Woman. By Gabor Varconi and Tunde Lengiel. If I pronounced that wrong, I'm really sorry. <laughs> we also have our favourites, smithsonian.com, history.com and biography.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then let's begin. You see... I have a revelation for y'all. Elizabeth Bathory was innocent. So, Elizabeth Bathory, who I'm going to refer to as Elizabeth, because that's her fucking name, and I hope I've pronounced it correctly. This may or may not be sparked on by the fact that I walked past an advert in Dublin airport today, which said Grace O'Malley on it. In Dublin. What the actual fuck, by the way, before... You know what? I'm going to rant for a second, because fuck this for Game of Soldiers. You see, her name was Gronya or Granya I don't care however you pronounce it, you know, depending on which region you're from, which dialect you speak. Her name was not Grace. There is no Anglicised version of Gráinne. And the fact that this made it through every single step of the way that an Irish advert in the International Irish Airport... Fucking Grace? Her name isn't Grace. It's Gronya. Granya O'Malley, And as far as I'm concerned, anyone who refers to her as Grace and does not use her actual name, which is Grania, is trash. You're trash. Your book is trash, your film is trash, your ad read is trash, your gin is trash. I don't give a fuck. It's trash. So, Elgibeth, which I'm trying desperately to pronounce correctly, she is known as the Blood Countess and is even in the Guinness Book of Records as the most prolific female serial killer. Because not only did she hunt down Virgin of the nobility and peasantry alike, she would capture them, torture them, and drain their blood from their bodies to fill her bath so that she may perform (gasps) occult stuff and regain by soaking her skin in the blood of the innocents. La 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 la... Spooky. Except... It's all fucking bullshit. And Elizabeth Bathory was a victim of the fucking patriarchy. Elizabeth was born on the 7th of August, 1560. Which is nice to have a birth date because as you know, women in the past, we don't always get them. But luckily for us, She was noble. She was actually really fucking noble. So her entire family is noble up the wazoo. So she's, like, related to barons and baronesses, the king of Poland, grand Duke of Lithuania, prince of Transylvania, so on and so forth. So, yeah, she was born on a family estate in Nirbator in Royal Hungary. Now, we don't know too much about her childhood because, because, you know... She's a woman in the past, so why the fuck would we care about that? What we do know is that when she was a kid, she had multiple seizures. So the prevailing theory is that she had some form of epilepsy. And so what they would do at the time to treat what they would call falling sickness, this was a a medical practice, is they would rub the blood of someone who didn't have epilepsy onto the lips of someone who did. Okay, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a reason for that. So like a lot of European nobility at the time, Elizabeth had a very typical education. Now can you see this throughout the mainland of Europe? Everywhere from up here and over in Hungary, all the way through France down to Spain, where Catherine of Aragon and Isabella were also taught this level of education. So throughout her schooling, Elizabeth learns Latin, German, Hungarian, Greek and arithmetic. And the thing about the Bathory's, which is different to, like, quite a lot of Europe at the time, is that they were Calvinist Protestants. So quite a lot of Europe at the time was... So in 1573, Elizabeth is engaged to Count Nadal's Because, well, it's a whole political thing. It's all families marrying into each other to ensure political stability, social growth, so on and so forth. And they get married two years later. And as a wedding gift, he decides, you know what? I could get you some jewellery. I could get you some, I don't know, shiny robes, shoes. Women love shoes, right? Uh, no, that's not enough. I'm going to give you a castle. So he ends up giving her this household, the castle of Cestje, um, which is basically in um, modern-day Slovakia. So he gives her this and a country house and... Seventeen! Seventeen fucking villages, like, uh, that were in the sort of area. So their wedding is like the highlight of the season. They're both really fucking noble. They are the royalty of the area, you know. So they had four and a half thousand guests at their wedding. All from like, the creme de la creme of Hungarian society and nobility. Fun fact, because Erzébeth actually outranked him, Through, like, the royal and noble hierarchy, she keeps her name and then he sort of adds it onto his. So not long after they get married, he has to go and continue his studies. And like quite a lot of marriages at the time, they didn't live together too much. So he goes, he does his studies, and then when he actually completes them, he's appointed the chief commander of the Hungarian troops for King Matthias II. So the he is such a fucking monster on the battlefield that he actually gets the name the Black Knight of Hungary, which is good for, you know, Hungary, because they were all fighting the Ottomans. And while he's away slinging a sword at the Ottomans, or axe, or pike, I feel like a pike seems not noble enough for a warrior. That's not the point, anyway. So Elizabeth, she's used to it at this point. You know, so he was away at college, living his best life and now he's away fighting. So this is all part of the power for her. So she spent quite a lot of time from when she was like 15 ruling. Like she's been doing this. She's been managing all of his holdings, which are really bloody vast, by the way. She's managing business affairs and all the estates. And like during the long war, she's providing medical care. She's defending all of these estates. Which are really, really important, by the way, because because a lot of the land that they had is on the route to Vienna. So strategically, they're really, really fucking important. So she's keeping an eye on all this. So she's dealing with all this strategic shit. She's really, really competent. Which people didn't really like. These places were, like, constantly under threat of attack as well. The Ottomans were always coming in and raiding. Because you had Cestiu, which is being plundered. And then, of course, you have... Sarvar, which is really fucking close to the border between the royal Hungary. Royal Hungary and Ottoman-occupied Hungary. And so while all this is going on, not only is she dealing with all of these grandiose, massive matters, she's also intervening in the lives of everyday women. She's intervening and jumping in. She is, oh uh, yeah, trigger warning, I'm going to mention sexual assault. So, uh, you can just skip like 30 seconds, I'd say. Great, okay. So Elizabeth, she's intervening in like the lives of destitute women. She's supporting women whose husbands have been kidnapped by Ottomans, and she intervenes on a rape case because this woman comes to her because her daughter was raped and was impregnated, and Elizabeth steps in and basically, basically gives the woman gives this daughter agency and says, "You're okay. You're not like a fallen woman. You know she is provided for. You know she is cared for." So yeah, she is managing lands, defending castles, running hospitals, protecting the lives of innocents, like all evil blood count houses do. And during this time, because they were sort of together and then apart and together and then apart, they have five kids together, three of whom survive into adulthood. But in Nada's day, he really wasn't around so much. So it was really up to Elgabeth to um, raise them, really. So she was also doing that too. Of course they would have had like a master of the sword and a governess and all those kind of things. People to teach them. Teaching them schooling, language, etc, etc. So of course being a lady of nobility, especially in Europe at the time, she had a court. And members of the court, they would send their daughters there. So noble girls and young women, they would be sent there. For kind of like a, the best way I can describe it is like a finishing school. This was a really, really common thing amongst nobility, especially in Europe at the time. Like, you would send your kid off to someone else, to some other lord or lady of the realm, and then they would send their kid somewhere else. Like, if you had someone of a greater nobility staying with you, then that really put you up the social rung, but it was also a very political thing as well, because this was how alliances were made. So the teenage daughters of these noble families would be sent to Elizabeth's court, and they would finish their education and learn courtly manners. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say.
1: Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you
0: do when the woman you love dies?
1: Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside
0: the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. They would learn how to be functioning ladies in noble society. So they would be under the care of Elizabeth, who, you know, teaches them how to be proper young ladies. And as a part of this as well, she would make sure that they were protected and chaste, so that they would be ready for husbands. And of course, being a young lady in the court of the Countess Battery, that's really going to raise your eligibility levels. It just raised your chances of finding a high-ranking husband. So at one point, while Nada's days away fighting war... You know, another epidemic is sweeping through the nation and there's this disease outbreak at court and a small group of these girls in the minor nobility, they die. They get sick and they die. And so Elisabeth, she returns the bodies to the families so that they can have, you know, a Christian burial, so that they can mourn the loss and bury their children. And at the time, the families of these girls, they very much agreed and believed that the girls had passed away from this illness. With one of the mothers going so far as to provide a sworn statement to a notary saying that her daughter died of an illness and that it was not the fault of the Countess. And of course, while the war is still raging on, she's running these estates and she is running them well. So well, in fact that the estate is so fucking wealthy, they're able to loan money to the king, King Matthias, to use for the war effort. From about 1601, day, he was involved in... He either had some sort of accident or some sort of degrading condition because he starts having this excruciating pain in his legs, which he never recovers from. Like, by 1603, he is... Permanently disabled, he has no use of his legs. And on the 4th of January 1604, Ferenc Nadasde dies at the age of 48. But knowing the end was coming, Nadasde entrusts his heirs and his widow to Giorgi Turzo, which honestly may not have been the best idea in the long run. So when 1604 rolls along, Elisabeth not only loses her husband, but also her brother. They die, like, pretty close to one another. And her oldest son, I think, is only six years old at this point. And obviously, this is really emotional. I don't know how close romantically she was with her husband or her, or how close a relationship she actually had with her brother, but it's still going to be upsetting. It's going to be a massive load of grief on your shoulders, losing two people so closely together. Also, in addition, furthermore, it also cuts two streams of revenue for Elizabeth. So, like, she didn't have the income from Nara's day being the Black Knight of Hungary, and she also didn't have any income coming from the estate of her brother, because he had no son to inherit. And so because, you know, patriarchal bullshit, because her brother had no son to inherit all the shit, the estate goes to some distant cousin instead of his nephew, which seems like... You know, in a family tree, it definitely seems like the closest branch, doesn't it? So basically everything that was her husband's all the lands in the estates, technically they go to her son, but because he was only like six at the time, she rules in his stead. She can she governs. So she's controlling this really wealthy and really fucking massive estate which is strategically located on the trade route to Vienna. But again, she's lost money from here and from here. And in order to keep things running, she sells to her castle. She's like, bye-bye, done. And so because Elizabeth is a widow, they expect her to be this soft target without a man to protect her. And she's like, (laughs) no. And in 1606, this count comes in and seizes one of her estates. And Elizabeth is like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And she said, okay, I'm going to paraphrase here, but here's basically what she said. What the actual living fuck do you think you're doing? I'm not like that weak widow over there who let you brump in and steal all her shit. I am not like that weak little widow woman crying in the corner who let you muscle in and steal all her shit. And her children's inheritance... Hell to the no. Listen, I'm not going to keep quiet. I will let no one fuck with me and take my shit. This bit isn't paraphrasing. It's just translated into English. Believe me, I will not keep silent. I will let no one take my property. I just wanted you to know this. Do not think I shall leave you to enjoy it. You will find a man in me. So basically what she's saying is... I'm going to rip your balls off, and you're going to have to deal with it. So she is this wealthy and powerful and strong woman in an era which really wasn't comfortable um, accepting either of those features in a woman. So at the same time, Elizabeth is putting pressure on King Matthias to pay back what some might call... Substantial debts, considering she'd been funding the Crown's wars for, I don't know, a couple of fucking decades. And so, and at the same time, her nephew was the Prince of Transylvania, who wasn't, who was basically opposing King Matthias. And here's the thing, the Prince of Transylvania, he really wouldn't have been an issue, except with Elisabeth's power, and money behind him he becomes a force to be reckoned with. Ergo Elizabeth is a force to be reckoned with. Elgebet battery had to be stopped on the twenty ninth of December, sixteen ten. The fifty year- old widowed countess's dinner was interrupted by the arrival of Georggie Turzo, the viceroy of Hungary at the gates. What's funny is they interrupted her eating but reports will say that they walked in on her torturing a girl, which she wasn't doing because she was eating her dinner. (laughs) So Georgie also happens to be her cousin and a member of sort of the lower nobility but Nada's day had entrusted the care of his widow and his heirs to Georgie. Thinking he could trust him, but basically, since Georgi took the took the role of Palatine or Viceroy of Hungary, uh, which is kind of like um, like a like a chief justice kind of thing, since he took that role, he had been trying to get Elizabeth sent off to a nunnery so that he could take control fully of well. Not as these full estates and lands and all the good money that comes with it. Because his family was wealthy. Just not quite as wealthy as her. So he brings forward this... Because there's these rumours going about that she's doing all this dodgy stuff. That she's into the occult and all those kind of things. Which, even if she was, so was everybody at the time. Everybody was really fucking obsessed with it. And it wasn't really that big of a deal because it was just one of those weird fascinations, kind of like how we watch superhero movies we watch the blockbusters blockbusters are very much a common thing that we watch so being into the occult was kind of like the hobby of the the time you know what I mean, but anyway I digress so all these rumours are swirling around that she's up to all this dodgy shit, so Georgie's like I'm going to investigate this For no reason whatsoever, which wasn't driven by being in crippling debt, King Matthias is the one who assigned this investigation to Georgie. Convenient. So he rounds up all the servants and separates Elisabeth. She is... And she is writing to all these nobles and all the gentry and everybody and she's like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, You want to help me out here? so they spend over a year just like collecting witness statements the majority of which just feel like hearsay because it's like oh well this happened and I saw these bodies and people are missing and there's like a bunch of other fucking things so while she's under house arrest actually Georgie's wife raids the countess's rooms looking for all of her jewels and shit she's just like so dodgy this trial is held, like, but without Elizabeth or any opposing counsel or any kind of advocates. No, there's a trial held and the court is basically told of all of these, like, bodies found at the castle. Uh, okay, so I'm going to talk about torture for, like, a minute and a half. So you're going to skip forward a minute and a half if you don't want to hear that. Warning. Okay, so... There's basically tales of girls between the ages of 10 and 14 being beaten, um, burned with candles, poked with needles, tongs, and their feet burnt with hot iron and then dipped into freezing cold water. So according to the testimony, she kept her servants chained up every night so tight that their hands turned blue and spurted blood. Now... That's just a good way to get your fucking staff to mutiny on you, that's all I'm saying. She strangled a servant to death with a silk scarf, a la the Turkish way. Stitched victims' lips and tongues together. Made servants sit and or bathe in stinging nettles. Beating victims to the point where there's so much blood that they had to use ash to clean it up, to absorb it all. "'smeared girls in honey and left them to be devoured "'by the ants and the bees and the flies. "'She starved them and if they were thirsty "'made them drink their own piss "'and stuffed not one, not two, but five servants' corpses "'underneath the bed and then fed them food "'as if they were still alive. Uh, 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 "'Okay, cool.' Some would be placed inside an Iron Maiden, an old device that she received from her deceased husband. But when she was too tired to even close the door of a vertical sarcophagus, she would lay in bed and have the young women brought to her so that she may bite lumps off of their flesh. So there were four servants who were also tortured and so they gave statements under duress they had their fingers torn out with her pincers. Some were burned alive. One of the younger servants managed to get... was given the merciful death of beheading. But basically, no one got to cross-examine. All of the information was given via fucking torture, under duress. So let's break this down a little bit, shall we? First of all, the Iron Maiden... There's lots and lots of talks of the Iron Maiden. The Iron Maiden wasn't actually a real thing. Ask any medievalist. It's fake. It was invented by the Victorians because the Victorians ruin everything. So, Iron Maiden, not fucking real. Not real at all. Not a fucking thing. So, I mean, this came later, but I'm going to add it in now because we can. So, one of the things that Elizabeth is accused of is, obviously, bathing in the blood of virgins to keep herself young and beautiful, it'll be beautiful. No, nah, fuck that. Because one thing that always seems to slip the mind, whoever discusses this, is that blood coagulates really fucking quickly. You're talking like five to eight minutes before it starts getting all like sticky and gloopy. So bathing in it, it just wouldn't work. It's, it, it Be all lumpy and gloopy and sticky. It would not be a pleasant bathing experience by any stretch of the imagination. Plus, this isn't even a time where people bathed regularly. So, like, it just doesn't make sense. So she is supposed to have personally tortured all of these young girls. Now, here's the thing. This is a bloody countess. Not a blood countess. Bloody countess, right? (laughs) She wouldn't actually torture people, would she? Like, you don't get your hands dirty if you're noble. You have other people to do that for you. And so if she was torturing people for any kind of reason, she would have her servants do it for her. Which, to be honest, is no real difference to any man of the time. It only ever seems to be brought up when a woman does it. Generally because it's against the maternal nature of women, I said, Pooh, I say to that. Poo-poo. Because, like, all of... And here's... I mean, if nothing else, there's no letter of complaint. And, like, if Elizabeth If there was complaints about her, it would be written down. Like, in this time period, if somebody was injured or harmed, or, or if you, like, swiped somebody's livestock, like a fucking goose or a chicken. Maybe not a goose. A goose would fight you. A chicken... Chicken probably an easier steal, but yeah, if you did like that, an official complaint was written with a notary. So the trial is held, and they have this witness come forward, who does the biggest hearsay of hearsay ever. And um, this servant girl comes forward and goes, "Oh well, this other servant had seen this book which had a list of like six hundred and fifty names of all of the the girls that you know the countess had killed." But, like, the person she said had told her about the book. Even under torture. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis,
1: meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of
0: you who struggle at night To achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep, search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Never claimed to have seen the book. Like, he didn't mention it, it wasn't a thing, but they took it as evidence anyway. And, fun fact, no one ever found the fucking book. Almost as if... The book never existed in the first place. Oh, surprise. So, like, not only were there no complaints, like, official records, but Elizabeth wanted to get, like, the testimony of the noblewoman, who you know, who stated that the daughter died of, like, an illness. That wasn't admissible. That wasn't allowed to be brought into court. Elizabeth also wasn't allowed to speak in her defence. And, like, some of the stuff they accused her of, like, you know, the things where, uh, you know, like, with the sort of bathing in nettles... Like, that was sort of like a folk remedy of the time as well. So, you know, it's just funny that that was, like, one of the accusations. Like, oh, no, she's using traditional medicine. Ooh. (laughs) And, like, throughout the trial, it's sort of... The numbers just kind of fucking jump around. You've got, like, 30 here, 400 here, 650 there. And it just gets... It just snowballs. We don't have any names of the people she supposedly killed Even if they were lower gentry, they're still gentry, they're still noble. We should have names of victims. Because it wasn't like she was out, you know, kidnapping peasant girls in the night. The people she supposedly killed were nobility. So there should be some record of who they were. Like, something. But we don't. Like, not only do we have no record of that... Because, like, they like to write shit down at this point. They like to say, oh, this person is betrothed to this person... It'd be, like, Masragosha is betrothed to Vladislav. Francesca, here, is betrothed to Igor. And Anna is going to be engaged to Volodymyr over here. And so on and so forth. Like, it's all going to be... It's all going to be like that. But there would be records of, like, all of these betrothals, all of these engagements suddenly breaking. Because it would be weird if there was these, like, sudden... Like, especially over this period of time... For all of these betrothals just not happen because of the sudden and unexplained disappearance and or death of these women in this area. But the fact that they spent a year searching and questioning and torturing, when, like, the logical thing to do, the easiest way to prove someone's guilty of murder, is to just show the bodies. Because apparently there was, like, cartloads, just, like, carts and carts full of body parts and... Bones and fleshy bits, but like they'd have to go somewhere. They'd have to be buried or burned, or like, hey, here's this big ash pit where we found some teeth. And if she did really kill as many people as they say she did, nobody's gonna go out and dig, like, and bury just like a hand or a femur or something like that. They're gonna mass grave it because that's what you have to do when you've got a fuck ton of bodies. So, where? Where were they interred? And you could remember as well, religion was like massive at the time. So the nobility of the era, they would want to provide their their relatives, their children, with a Christian burial. So at the very least, the grave it would have to be on hallowed ground, so that they could either move the bodies or body parts, or have the ground blessed. You know, they'd have to know somewhere where they goes. They never found any graves. They never found any body parts. So, like, this trial is kind of like an off-the-books trial as well. Because if it was, like, an official proper trial, and Elizabeth was found guilty, King Matthias, he would have been able to, like, claim all of her land and all of her shit, and he could write off his debt to her. But she had been writing to all the nobility, right? And they basically went, no. And so they kind of stood in between him and her. And, like, he really didn't want to have to, like, fight the nobility who would be backed with all of Elizabeth's fucking money. You know what I mean? Because it was still there. And the thing is as well, that like the family had all kind of got together and divided up all of Elizabeth's land and stuff, you know, so that they were all happy with who got what and still let them retain the power of the area. So the trial was concluded, but Elizabeth wasn't quite made guilty because they couldn't you know, execute her. They couldn't do that because that would have been a fucking uproar. That would have caused a war. So they're like, we'll just put her under house arrest. Um Georgie was still trying to get her sent to a fucking nunnery. And like, while the trial is still going on, she writes a will, um, basically saying that all of her current and future inheritance and possessions and yada, 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 goes to her kids. Nice and simple. Just getting everything ducks in a row. And so by January 1611, so a year later, Elizabeth is put under house arrest. So Georgie, he he writes that Elizabeth is actually bricked up in her room with like a wee hole and stuff to go through. But other accounts actually suggest that she, it was just house arrest. She wasn't allowed to leave the castle. She just had a constant bodyguard on her at all times, which kind of seems to me like probably not the worst instance she could be in. And so for the next four years, Elizabeth she is confined to the castle. And on 20th of August, 1614, she complains to her bodyguard that her hands are cold. And he's like, go lie down, you're fine. So she goes and lies down. And when they go to check on her the very next morning, she is dead. And so Countess Erzabet Battery passes away in her sleep at the age of 54. Her body is allowed to be removed and interred with her family in Exxed. And another thing, for someone who was apparently such a horrific and cruel person and did all these terrible, terrible things, her body was allowed to be interred with her family crypt. Which is, um, which would have been on hallowed ground. Which uh, seems like it wouldn't have been allowed if it was genuinely believed that she was doing all of these awful, awful things. And so, throughout time and history, Elzebet Bathory's story is weaving through folklore and whispers. Adding a little bit more each time, embellishing here, terrifying there, until she becomes known as the Horrific Blood Countess. A myth perpetuated by patriarchal standards and abuse throughout the fucking centuries. Because being an independent, strong woman at any point in history means that your reputation will not be accepted by the pale and stale male historians. And so the reputation and personhood of any person who does not fall into the perfect little box of womanhood has to be tarnished, twisted, or destroyed. So what did we learn today? We learned that the patriarchy just doesn't fucking stop. The fact that a level-headed wife and mother was a competent manager of massive, wealthy estates, continuing to be a powerful public figure instead of retiring and mourning after her husband's untimely demise, was the downfall of this intelligent, strong-willed woman in 17th century Hungary. We also learned that the easiest thing to gain and the hardest thing to lose is a reputation, and that historically, men generally don't seem to like it when women have autonomy, agency, and power. So, if you liked today's video, don't forget to go rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or any other of your podcasting uh, networks, hosts, things that you use that um that allow you to do that. I actually had I was having a rough night. I get notifications once a week for all of the reviews that come in that week, and I was reading through these amazing, amazing reviews on Apple Podcasts and. They really, like, I cannot tell you how much they cheered me up. Like, I was on the verge of having um, a panic attack. Basically, there was a situation and I was very much on the edge. And, like, I was already, like, shaking, palpitations, the whole shebang. And I get this notification and it's all these fucking amazing reviews. And I am just overwhelmed. Um, and they really distracted me from everything that was going on, and they really, really helped me. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who did review this week. It is it is absolutely amazing. You have no idea how much you really helped me this week. I had a bit of a tough time, and you did help. It really means a lot to me, especially knowing that this is providing some kind of joy or interest and, and you know, friendliness We're just sitting about having a wee chat, talking about history. I'm that friend who doesn't shut up, keeps talking, which is me in real life anyway. (laughs) But I'm really glad all of you are here. Really, really. But don't forget, you can follow me on social media as well. I am on TikTok, Instagram and Facebook with Pod. I'm on Twitter for PD, but you can also follow History Harlot there as well which leads us to which leads us to recommendation time. I don't know why I had to sing that let alone sing that poorly so sorry and tough luck. So reading. I am currently reading Glass Houses by Melanie Murphy. I don't read non-fiction books often but this is by my friend and I fucking I will support her no matter what. And also I've been travelling, so when I travel I like to read. It's nice to read something that isn't um, <laughs> full of horror, really. Because like, everything historical <laughs> is just sad. Listening, I'm actually going to recommend a Tenfold More Wicked. I think I've probably recommended this before. It is a historical true crime podcast and it tends to do it in... Seasons over one story over a full season. Uh, So, if you like dark crime history, that's for you. Go check it out. And watching. What are we watching now? So, Everything Everywhere All at Once has been released. I have not seen it yet. It is not yet released in Ireland, or at the very least, it is not released where I live in Ireland. But apparently, it's released today in the UK, which means it should also be available. For most parts of the world. So I would go see everything everywhere all at once. Because Michelle Yeoh just deserves all the love and respect. Go watch it. Go watch it. And yeah, I think that's everything for today. But you know what? No, actually, I'm going to add another podcast recommendation in there as well. If you haven't already started listening to it, I would say jump into The Guilty Feminist. Which is basically like this cultural phenomenon, really. I fucking I fucking love Deborah Francis White. You should definitely listen to that as well. So there's there's two options for you. Extra this week. See how much I care. So (laughs) so with that, I am going to bid you farewell, and I'll chat to you next time. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye bye.